The Canaanite woman in today's gospel reading must have really been desperate. Her love for her daughter and the despair at seeing her suffer demonic possession compelled the woman to disregard strict social taboos and approach Jesus. Canaanites and Jews steered clear of each other. These were, after all, the people with whom Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, and the Israelites slaughtered the Canaanites many centuries earlier. And it was considered bold, quite unladylike, for a woman to speak to a man in public, much less shout at a whole group of them, as she did with Jesus and his disciples. And she was a Gentile, probably a pagan who believed in many gods, and she was approaching a Jew. But in her desperate need to find healing for her daughter, this unnamed Canaanite woman breaks through all these social barriers to kneel at Jesus' feet begging for mercy. And for that brazenness, we should thank her because she gave us a great example of how to approach God in our own moments of desperation with humility, but with boldness as well. She talks back to Jesus with the faith and the nerve to demand a response. When we were taught to pray, we were told we could ask for things too. But ultimately, we weren't supposed to tax God's patience too much and that every prayer should end with something like, your will, Lord, not mine, be done. Not so for this woman. She is thinking, I need this to happen. She's my beloved daughter, and I know you can do it for me. I believe that even a crumb of your attention would suffice for my daughter's healing. How would it feel to pray like that, with such intensity, with such expectation and need of response? And what would you do if your supplication went unanswered for a long time? For me, such intense praying would feel scary, unsafe, putting my faith out on a limb like that. I'd almost rather not ask than risk being disappointed in God. Because a faith that expects mercy risks being weakened if the mercy doesn't show up. But you know, maybe a deeper faith is one that actively engages God, that speaks what is in its heart, and then truly awaits an answer. And so I give thanks for the Canaanite woman's example of boldness and humility, for her faith that nothing, whether culturally or personally imposed, nothing should block our access to the ear of God, where we can whisper our longings or shout our needs. The woman came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus is kind of harsh here. 
There is no getting around it. Dogs, as an epithet back then, was not a pretty thing to be called. No white poodles wearing pink ribbons back then. No, dogs in Jesus' day were unclean, mangy scavengers who ate the filth in the streets. Nobody touched them. Nobody cared for them. It's been somewhat entertaining to read the biblical commentaries that bend over backwards to try to make it somehow okay that Jesus called this Canaanite woman a dog. A Canaanite woman. Thank you. These scholarly arguments were not very convincing to me, except maybe for these few. First, some scholars speculate that Jesus was engaging in a bit of theatrics for the benefit of his disciples. If he had merely consented to the woman's shouted request right away, his followers would have missed the deeper implications of his healing. But by speaking out loud the prejudices of his day, Gentiles are dogs, they don't deserve to hear the good news. Jesus drives home the point, made elsewhere in Matthew, that his mission on earth encompasses not just Jews, but everyone. Second, and a more compelling argument, I think, Jesus changed his mind. The Canaanite woman actually taught him something. He learned the lesson and adjusted his own teaching accordingly. In this exchange, Jesus represents the traditions of his people, that Jews are the chosen children of God and his mission was only for them. The Gentiles are polytheistic outcasts. So when he says it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, he means it. But the woman's response floors him. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She turns his slur right back at him. Fine, call me a dog, but I need this miracle from you. My precious daughter is suffering, so I am perfectly willing to shame myself before you if you will heal her. And yes, a crumb will suffice. She melts his resistance and wins him over because I believe that in that moment, the Canaanite woman reminds Jesus that it is relationship, not cultural norms, that matters. And Jesus changes his mind, beaming at her and gladly taking the lesson. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. Now, I should warn you that it might be heretical for me to suggest that Jesus didn't have it all together in every single instance in the Gospels. But I got to say, I find him a more convincing and lovable savior when his heart is softened by the pleas of a mother in need, when we can see him being human, capable of losing a verbal spar for once and embracing an even wider compassion because of this woman. The Jesus I love encourages us to expect such extravagant mercy, 
rather than think we don't deserve it. We human beings make dogs of one another every day, denying humane treatment to those who aren't like us or those whom we fear. And it's only gotten nastier in the past 20 years or so as our nation has become so polarized that we snarl and lunge at one another across the political chasm. Just look at all the videos of people yelling at each other for wearing a mask in public. It's terribly dispiriting. And it's only going to get worse in the next two and a half months. But rather than focus on all the negativity and fear out there, the violence and racism, the sickness and death, I want to tell you about a place called Epiphany School. Epiphany is a private Episcopal middle school focused on giving a free quality education to economically disadvantaged kids in Dorchester, Massachusetts, a rough Boston neighborhood. Epiphany's mission statement is summed up in the phrase, never give up on a child. It was co-founded by John Finley, a Harvard grad from a wealthy Boston family who rather than pursue more fortune, chose to better the lives of at-risk kids, in part by treating them like they truly matter. The rigorous educational program is coupled with strict rules of behavior, and every year the kids do amazing things they could never have done otherwise. Spending a day on a boat and learning about sailing, going to a farm for three days to experience that way of life, and staying a week at Groton School, an elite Episcopal high school, to learn from teachers there. I was a part-time chaplain at Epiphany for a year in 2011 and 2012, and I put together the worship service each week. Almost every other week, without fail, one of the kids scheduled to acolyte or read would not show up. Sometimes it was forgetfulness. Other times it was a crisis at home. One girl, Carmen, who would sass back at me but was also pretty funny, didn't show up one week to acolyte. I later found out that she and her sister had witnessed their drugged-out mother jump off the roof of their apartment building at midnight the night before, and she had spent the night at the hospital with her. Another girl didn't make it to read at our chapel service because she was in a care facility. After running into traffic and screaming at the top of her lungs over and over that she wanted to die. I also helped some kids write their sermons. And I remember one boy who had no idea what to say about the gospel reading. I saw him suddenly realize that he was just like Peter screwing up and denying Jesus and not listening to his parents' advice, yet they still kept loving him, just like Jesus did with Peter. And then there was Teresa, a preternaturally self-confident young lady who would call out to me, Hey, Father Rico, come here! And then tell me how she had done so well on her last test or essay. He's going to go far. All of these children, and millions like them, 
are told every day and in so many ways, you are a dog. And it is not fair to take the other children's food and throw it to you. Many have been conditioned to expect little more than crumbs, but not at Epiphany School. The structure, discipline, teaching, and love they bring into these kids' lives tells them they are worthy of healing and miracle. It's a hard thing for the kids to believe when all they know are unanswered prayers. So it's a process, and it takes time, like all the most important prayers do. And the lives of so many of these kids have, as a result, been transformed. And if we don't ask for and imagine a world where impossible prayers can come true, then there will never be another epiphany school nor will we ever truly heal, personally or as a nation. Life will just be more the same, snarling and barking and hating. Because the good news will never be good enough until it reaches everyone. Not just you and me and those who think or live like we do, but the Canaanite women and their precious daughters out there, possessed by the demons they've been dealt. Until the good news does touch every heart, we have our work cut out for us. We have prayers to bring to Christ and demand an answer. We have deeds that need doing to bring that answer to fruition. And we have our own sorrows and longings to be healed. May we be humble enough to kneel down and truly ask for the mercy we require, yet bold enough to expect God's reply. Ask for the impossible. Expect the miracle. Act like it's on its way and prepare for its arrival. May it be so. Amen.